Just a quick backdrop, Time Revive, uh, we are a ministry that loves to equip the saints to get ready for the return of Christ. That's just who we are, it's how we're wired, that's what we've been doing for 14 years, and with time, he just continues to give us a little bit more glimpses of how do you get ready for his return. Hence, the, the teaching series, To Number Our Days. To Number Our Days is, is literally, I don't know, Ray, Ray and I are we're, we're co-teaching this. Ray gets to sit comfortably, I have to stand here awkwardly. How would you define to number our days if you were to say, hey, this is why we're doing this? Well, it's, uh, you know, one of the biggest reasons is to demystify this, that there's, you know, when, when you don't have knowledge about something, there's a lot of fear surrounding it. Uh, you know, it, it says in, in Scripture that, you know, my people perish for lack of knowledge. It's good. We don't have anything to fear. Mm -hmm. In fact, we should be able to embrace today uh, because of what's coming. And it should drive us and motivate us uh, to get out and encourage people. We have hope amidst all of this. Amen. Let's make the most of our days, right? That's the mentality that we're after. Uh, okay, so we're going to jump in. Last week, uh, we did the, the timeline, 70 weeks of Daniel's timeline, right? In Daniel 9. And, you know, as we were talking, we're like, you know, we really, I felt like some people were scratching their heads, including us, maybe not Ray, but everybody else. And I, I, he scratched it off. I just want to keep cleaning this up because to me, if I'm sensing like, hey, how do we keep refining this? Then that's what we're going to do. I don't have a timeline or agenda. And hopefully you figured that thing out by now. So go, Kevin, let's go back to Daniel 9. And what I'm going to do is it's a really really long timeline that I'm going to give you guys today. And I am praying, I'm serious today, my prayer is that my penmanship gets better today. <laughs> okay, can I get an amen, please? Thank you. Okay, just don't agree. So whatever. All right. So in Daniel 9, Kevin, I want you to start, if you would, back at the very beginning. In Daniel 9, okay, the context is this. In verse 2, right? Uh, in verse 2, it says this. Daniel 9, verse 2, it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. I have my little chart. I'm going to attempt to draw this onto here for the rest of the time, okay? And a lot of this is based off of some questions that came at the end of our lesson last week. So Daniel 9:24, 70 weeks are decreed. It's going to break it up into seven weeks and it's going to break it up into 62 weeks. So Daniel 9:25. It breaks it up into seven weeks, right? And 62 weeks. And then here we have the one week. We'll get into what that looks like and what we're talking about down here. Okay, now the seven weeks. What does one week equal, Ray? One week equals seven years. Seven years. So seven weeks. Now here's what's interesting. Why, why did it break it up? Possibly. Now, we know that the decree started on 444 B.C. to go rebuild the city, right? So now this is the decree to go rebuild the city. Now, seven weeks, possibly, it could mean this. From 444 to 395, that's 49 years, right? Some could say this could be the era of the end of the Old Testament. Why do we say that? Because... Nehemiah or Malachi. Everybody kind of has a little bit of a difference of opinions of which one was written last, the Nehemiah or Malachi. But some would say that the 49 years could have been 
from the 444 BC to 395 BC. Okay, is that fair? Does that make sense? Now watch this. This is where it gets really kind of fun. Here you have 434 years. So you have 483 years total for the 69 weeks. Okay, why is this important? The 434 years. Have you guys heard this phrase of, and Ray, I love this perspective of yours, uh, and it's many others as well, 400 years of silence, right? From the end of the Old Testament to the time of the Messiah was cut off, by the time of the death of Christ, it was 400 years plus the life of Christ, which could be, now you could say, well, wait a minute, why do you have 34 years? Nobody says 34 years. Because whenever you estimate any times, any historical person or theologian will say you give or take one or two, usually it's one year. So this timeline of 434 years could actually be the time that Christ died. Does that make sense, Ray? And even the, the, the date of uh, AD 33 for Christ's uh, death yes. is, is still, that's not dogmatic either. So there's enough flexibility in here that this it's thing could, works. It could go a little bit away either way, okay? Now, why are you like, well, how does this fit in the rise of the Antichrist? Because to me, I think when we talk about the Antichrist, we're just trying to figure out where he's coming from. But I think if we see the bigger timeline, you remember how we did the Psalms? Remember how we broke it up into two lessons? We kind of built the case of how it's pointing to the whole thing. This is the rise of the Antichrist is pointing to that. I want you to understand the bigger picture. The Jews are in captivity. They're released to go build the temple. They're released to go build the city. In the process, the Old Testament finishes out. Then there's silence and then Christ comes. And then here what we have is what we call the church age. Okay, the church age. Now, in Daniel, remember, he says, as you go into the last week, Daniel 9, 27, Daniel 9, 27, it just says, uh, from, uh, there's going to be a firm covenant. The Antichrist will make a firm covenant with many for what? One week. So the Antichrist will enter in right here on this timeline. Now, he's already been here, okay? He's already being prepared. He's already living, but he's obviously, we're going to get into a whole lot of details he enters into what Ray would say, his empowerment, okay? So this one week language is future tense. That's why it's important to get the bigger picture, Ray. Uh, it's fascinating. Daniel was only prophesying about Israel. Hmm. And Paul talks about the church age, the Gentiles uh, coming into the kingdom was a mystery to the Jew because it wasn't prophesied about. So that's why Daniel, it looks, people have a, it's, it's confusing if you don't know that because it jumps from the 69 and he leaves one week open. That's right. And the reason he that it's open to him is he doesn't see the church age. He's not prophesying about the church age. That's right. He's prophesying about Israel. Revelation yeah. fills, in the, fills right. in the gap. That's right. Okay, so it's good. Go back to Daniel 9.26, Kevin. I want to make sure everybody sees this that the end of 69 weeks is Daniel 9:26. After those 62 weeks, the Messiah, but we already know there's been seven, right? So there's 69, the Messiah will be cut off. So that's this timeline. The Messiah will be cut off and will have nothing. Now watch this in 9:26. The people of the coming prince will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now the, the coming prince, Ray, is who? That's the Antichrist. The Antichrist. 
So I want you to start thinking language of, and I, I'm going to do this in a little bit later on today, but language of the Antichrist. We know that the prince, the coming prince, will what? Destroy the city, right? Who's the city and the sanctuary? Yeah, it's Jerusalem, it's and, Jerusalem. The temple. and the temple. So what do we know already about that timeline? If they're coming to destroy the city and the temple, what has to be in place? Yeah, the temple. The temple. So if there's already been one temple, a second temple, there has to be a third temple, right? Uh, doesn't necessarily have to be a temple. It's a sanctuary. It could yes. be a tabernacle. It could be a tabernacle. But that's the point is that he's coming and it says the end will come with the flood, not an actual water flood. We already talked through this, right? With the Hebrew language, it's about a, a people coming, a massive amount of people until the end there will be war. Desolations are decreed. We know that the tribulation is coming. We know that the fighting is coming and he prophesies about it. Okay, everybody the same? So the Antichrist is going to come in this process. He's going to basically start revealing himself as the one week unfolds. Now, in this one week, Daniel 9, 27, okay, he will make, he, the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with many for one week. Now we know, again, this is seven years. So part of our language as sons of Issachar is to be watching for an individual that basically begins to negotiate and interact and deal with countries to experience some form of peace. It's not going to look picture perfect, by the way. We've already talked about that. Just because you have peace in one area doesn't mean it's peaceful everywhere else. This one covenant, we're going to get into this, is who is it with? Well, it could be where with who? It could be with the ten nations in Israel. It could be more. It could be partial. Yeah. It just... We don't know. We're going to break that up again. But again, I got to keep seeing. I want us to see the bigger picture. Now watch in Daniel 9, 27, it says, He'll make a firm covenant with many, maybe the ten nations for one week, seven years, and in the middle of the week. So without Ray saying anything, in the middle of the week, you should all know by now, it's three and a half years. So in the middle of this, of one week, you have three and a half years. Oh man, my penmanship. I, you guys are not praying. My penmanship is awful. I am so sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, now watch this, okay? So, so here you have, I'm sorry, it's not you, it's me. So here you have three and a half and three and a half. Now it says in the middle of the week, he's going to put a stop to the sacrifice and the offering. Why? Because if he's going to destroy it in the middle of it, right, it says he's going to put a stop to the offerings because that's what you do with the temple. The Old Testament mentality, Old Testament covenant, the Jewish people would sacrifice animals. That was their way of atonement. They had to keep doing it over and over and over. It was never satisfying. So I had to keep doing it. Praise Jesus. He put an end to all of that. Amen. But I will say you this, tell you this, that the Antichrist, in the middle of this, he's going to say, hey, I'm going to stop. Now, you have to understand some signs. Now, this is not even our message today. This is the backdrop. In 927, it says, and also, and the abomination of desolation will be on the wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. Ray, what's the Antichrist going to do with this language? What is he going to do here? Well, uh, you can make the case that he basically goes in and declares himself to be God, and it just unleashes uh, destruction like the world's never seen. So I want to just say, so here you have, you have the seven-year language, okay? What I really want to do is, is where does this Antichrist come from? The rise of the Antichrist. We've built the case. We do know that it's going to come in the one week. We do know that it's going to come in the seven years. We do know he's going to establish peace of some form for a covenant with 10 nations. We know in the middle of it, he's going to stand in the temple and say, hey guys, I'm it. 
and all hell is going to break out even more. Not that it hasn't even already. <laughs> so let's keep going here for a second. I want to go to, yes, we're going to go to Revelation 13. First time we're going to dig into Revelation. So what I want to propose is like, remember, I want us to think with a clean lens today. Don't come with titles. Don't come with perspectives of like, this is what I've been taught. I want you to say, if I, this is how my brother always used to think. If I was on an island, like, and nobody else was there, if I saw this for the first time, what would I see? What would the Holy Spirit show me? Like first time language. Okay, so go to Revelation 13, and it says this, okay? And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. He had 10 horns and seven heads. Man, that sure looks like this language. Scripture says this, on his horns were 10 diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. All right, so what we are seeing is, is this beast is describing the fourth empire, the fourth beast. I mean, remember, if you saw this one verse, does that make sense? Nothing else, nothing else theological. I'm serious. I'm pushing this because I think it's important. So here you have a beast, and the scripture just says that it has 10 horns and seven heads. Now, we know, Ray, what are the 10 horns? That's the uh, 10 nation federation that's... Uh coming up at the, during the tribulation, they go against Israel. So these are the 10 nations, also 10 kings, right? Yep, 10 toes, all of this language. All of this language. Remember, you have that empire, right, that's split in two, and it has the 10 toes, and how are the, what are they described as? It's iron and clay, they don't, they don't mix well. They don't mix well, but yet they're from the same empire, from yep. the same language, okay? Same kingdom mentality, okay? So we have uh, one beast, 10 horns, 10 kings, 10 nations, and then you have seven heads. Now, let me describe the 10 horns really quick, okay? I think this is important as a recap. We've talked about this. Now, in Revelation 17, I want you to write that down. Revelation 17, 12 through 17, it describes these 10 horns, these 10 kings. This is not me coming up with this. Who and what are the 10 horns? It says the 10 horns you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom. In other words, this kingdom has not been established. But they will receive authority as king with the beast, right? Think about this. The ten nations are going to be established with the empire, the kingdom, for one hour. They have one purpose. Do you remember what the one purpose is? To destroy Israel. Why? It goes back to the very beginning when we talked about the battle begins. The battle is over the seed. They want to wipe out the seed because where does the Messiah come from? He is the seed. So they think they take out Israel. So these 10 nations, right? They have one purpose. They're going to give power and authority to the empire, to the beast. They will make war against the lamb. They're not even hiding what they're going to do. We're against the lamb, Jesus, the lamb, but, I love this, there's a but, the lamb will conquer them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. Those are with him, that's the king, that's with the Lord, are chosen and, and faithful. But watch this though, in 15, the waters you saw where the prostitute was seated are people, multitudes, nations, and languages. So right out of the sea, there's that language, is going to come forth this empire. And the ten horns you saw, right, and the beast will what? Hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate, naked, devour her flesh, and burn her up with fire. These ten nations are going to be ruthless. Now, in 17, Ray and I love having this conversation. These ten nations, right? 
It says, for God has put it, every time I laugh about this, I don't even know why we get into this discussion, but God has put it into their hearts to carry out his plan. So these 10 nations, the 10 horns that are on this empire have a plan. And scripture says God put it on their hearts by having one purpose and to give their kingdom to the beast. Who's the beast? The empire. The empire. Until God's words are accomplished. Until it comes to fruition. So I want to just, I'm going to end there. But again, these are the 10 nations and they have a specific plan. And that's what, uh, they're going to walk it out until it's fulfilled, right? Yeah, so I want to I bring something up. It says that they give their authority. The kings give their authority to the beast, mm. okay? That's another case for, that's an empire, not the Antichrist. The Antichrist pushes up between the horns uh, in Daniel, yeah. the little horn, yeah. and he overturns three, basically, horns. He doesn't overturn ten. Does that make sense yeah. that this this is talking about the empire because all 10 give their authority over to this, I believe it's a demonic spirit that's empowering this empire. Good. Okay. So where does the Antichrist come from? We're getting there. Okay. We're establishing that there's an empire and the empire is known as the beast. The beast comes from the sea. Okay. I'm going to keep saying that because I want you to see the language, okay? I, as I would teach my kids, repetition is, is really important, okay? I think it's really important. Now watch. It says, on his horns there were 10 diadems. So 10 crowns. So these 10 crowns fit with the 10 nations. They fit with the 10 kings. And out on his heads were blasphemous names. Now, what are the seven heads? Okay, that's important to know. So we, we've talked about you know, there's 10 uh, horns. We're going to see that on the, on the great picture. Kevin, you drew this, right? <laughs> 10 horns, 10 diadems. There's crowns, right, on the horns, but there's seven heads. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to write out these. These seven heads, many people would say they are this, Egypt. Many would say that it leads to Assyria. Then they would say it leads to Babylon. Now, we use that language. We've talked about Babylon before, right? But remember, who, what did the, where did the Jews fall before Babylon? Assyria. Who did the Jews fall to before that? Egypt, right? So this is the language that you had. This is a possibility, right? I mean, we think it's a good pretty one. Strong one. Yeah. It's a pretty strong one, but at the same time, number four is Medo-Persia, okay? Again, this is similar language as what we're already talking about, but now let's keep walking here. Number five is Greece, okay? Number six, many would say, and Kevin, if you would, would you go to uh, Revelation 17, uh, verse Nine. Now, here's what we're going to say and propose. Revelation 17, 9, it says this. Here's the mind with wisdom. The seven heads. So we already know that the seven heads are seven mountains. We know the seven heads are seven mountains, according to Revelation 17. So when you're thinking 10 horns, right? So we're trying to keep going back to where does the Antichrist come from? There's seven heads with 10 horns and 10 crowns. There's seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Now, in, in Revelation 17, 10, it says they are also seven kings. So, the seven heads can represent mountains. They can represent kings. Five have fallen. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo, and Persia. Those are fallen. Yep. Okay? Those are fallen. Now, who's writing this right now? In Revelation, it's John. It says, one is, that would be Rome. Rome, why would it be is? Because when John is saying this, who's in power? Yeah, Rome. Rome. So here you have Revelation 19, verse uh, 10. 
And then it says, and the other has not yet come. Ray, you want to describe that one? That, we would say, is the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire was every bit in terms of powerful and destructive as Rome. And the reason that we say that, because it says one is, one is yet to come, and then it talks about the eighth, which is the final empire. Let me read it real oh, quick. No, it's good. Five have fallen, and then it says, keep going, uh, one is, the other has uh, not yet come. So that would be right after Rome. And then it says, right after that, it says, and when he comes, he must remain for a little. The beast that was and is not, who's the beast? The end times empire. The end times empire. The empire has not come yet. And it said, so it's not, it, it hasn't been taken full empowerment yet. Okay. Is himself the eighth, yet is of the seventh and goes to destruction. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's go to this one then if we can. Ray, you want to articulate that now if you don't mind? What all of these have in common is it's that same area surrounding Israel where rulership was. And he's giving you more detail than Daniel uh, because you remember John is in the church age and knowledge has increased and he's releasing it. So that's why now you're going to see more detail and you'll see Rome and that future empire, which the Ottoman Empire fits well. I, I wanted to say this though, okay? So out of the Ottoman Empire is the proposal would be that this empire will come from here. So it's hard to say that it, it is Rome. Go ahead. Yeah, one of the reasons is if he was getting to Rome, he would have stopped at six. He wouldn't say, he would have just said, one is. Five have fallen, one is, and the future will be one of the six. But he says one is yet to come. Why does he put that in there? Because it hasn't happened it yet. It hasn't happened yet, and number eight is quite possibly of the number seven. So all we're just trying to show you in scripture is what he said. One is, one is yet to come, one is and is not. Okay, so it's a powerful picture. So then you have to ask yourself, who comes from here? One of the proposals, one of the proposals is, um, you know, it could be Islam. Islam came out of the Ottoman Empire. Again, it's a proposal. It's not dogmatic. We're just trying to look at what do we see these powerful empires, and look, I have no problem saying it, Islam is a powerful empire. And in fact, just as a, as a picture, uh, right now, Islam, and I, I have some of these statistics here, but you're looking at uh, 1.9, in 2020, 1.9 billion Muslims in 2020. 1.9 billion Muslims. Now, in the Muslim faith, religion, you have two groups. Sunni and Shia. The Sunni are 1.5 billion, and then the Shia is 240 to 340 million. So, you know, you have a lot more Sunni uh, Muslims than you do Shia. But the point is, there's two different groups, but they come from one. That could be a picture of Daniel 2. So go to Revelation 13. Uh, back to verse 1, if you don't mind, Kevin. Revelation 13, 1, I want to just say, I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. You know this language. He had ten horns and seven heads. So you're thinking, hey, this, this could be it. 
on his horns, and we already know in Revelation 17 that we know that they're kings. So on his horns were 10 diadems and on his heads were blasphemous names. Now the beast I saw was what? Like a leopard. His feet were like bears and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. Look, I just, I got to go there. This is Daniel. I mean, this is Daniel 7. Why are we going there? Because in Revelation 13, the Antichrist is going to uh, reveal more of himself. And it says this, and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. The dragon in scripture, you guys, specifically in Revelation, is the sa it's Satan. It's the devil. Right? He's also described as a beast that has uh, seven heads with seven diadems. Mm -hmm. And the uh, beast empire, his, his diadems are on the ten horns. The, the difference is, is that Satan is behind the empires. The beast is behind the kings of his empire. It's good. It shows the rank. It's good. Satan's a higher rank. All right. So the dragon, Satan, gave him his power, the fourth empire, his throne, and his great authority. Satan's behind everything of the fourth empire. One of his heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but his fatal wound was healed. Now, we already talked about one of the heads. Okay, so one of his heads was what? It says that he was appeared to be fatally wounded. Appeared doesn't mean that he did die. It doesn't mean that it was gone. It appeared, so his fatal wound was healed. So it could have looked like a fake resurrection, right? That makes sense? Which is language of like uh, what it looked like for Christ, right? Uh, it's also, you can make the case that it it's talking about the empire. That's right. And so... The Ottoman Empire was defeated. Yep. And it's coming back around. You could say the same thing. And it's coming back around through through Islam. Yeah. You know, you can you can make that argument for Rome. Yep. Uh, you can make it for Islam. I think it's a stronger case for Islam because uh, the, of the resurgence now and the unification that we're seeing. So again, these are proposals. These are thoughts. But we do know that an empire is going to be resurrected, hence the revived language. And, and I do believe you have to stay with empire language yeah. and not this. Uh, I, I don't believe the, the resurrected uh, idea of a resurrected person fits with the language we've been talking about. This has been talking about an empire. That's right. And it talks about the fatal wound. Mm -hmm. I, I think you've got to stay consistent. You, I don't believe it's... Is, is easy to jump to a person at that yeah. point if you stay with the empire. Which is why it's so important to know all of the backdrop. You cannot just pull one verse out and say, well, that now looks clearly like a person. But the first two verses we just said, and we all agreed, oh yeah, it's an empire. So like we have to con stay consistent in the word. In what we do theologically in conservative circles and charismatic circles on anything, on gifts, we say we like this thing and we don't like this thing. We gotta just take this thing as a whole picture. And in the end times, as we take it as a whole picture, it actually might start to connect. So now watch, it says the whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. Everybody was amazed that like this empire, this kingdom is being reestablished and it's getting stronger. In fact, in, in Revelation 13, four, it says they worship the dragon, that's Satan, because he gave authority to the beast. Satan gave authority to the empire. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against him? Now, this is where it gets sticky. 
This is where this language is like, oh, this has to be a person because in Revelation 13, 5, it says a mouth was given to him to speak boasts and blasphemies. Now, up until this point, it sure looks like empire language. Now you get into five, all of a sudden we got a mouth for an empire. And it says he was given him to speak boasts and blasphemies. He was also given authority to act for 42 months. Ray, you want to address that? Yeah, I, I just believe this is the spirit behind the empire. Uh, Satan empowers this uh, spirit that is coming up and, the, and it's, I believe you can find this spirit in other parts of Revelation and it ties it into uh, really the, the, I mean, I hate to break it to you, demons speak. Yeah. So they speak through people. And so the mouth, he I believe. Said, I hate to break it to you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we're in a war. Uh, you know, the, when, a, when a spirit speaks, he's speaking through people. All right, let's go here. Let's go to Revelation 9, 11. Let's just reference where you're talking about this, if we can. Revelation 9, uh, this is just moving us up, won't it? Revelation 9, 11 says, They had as their king the angel of the abyss. You guys realize that fallen angels are what? Demons. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, this angel of the abyss, an angel of the abyss, you guys, isn't like, oh yeah, yeah, great. And in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. So we know that there is a demonic spirit that's over the abyss. Ray? Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> Revelation 9, Revelation 11, and Revelation 17, and Revelation 13, in my opinion, are all describing this demonic spirit that is behind the empire. You can find him multiple places. Okay, wow. Just, should we breathe for a second? I feel like I should. <laughs> this is pretty heavy uh, because it, we're walking in and talking about the end times battle. That's what we're walking into. And all of it is being prepared. All of it. The enemy is fast and furious and trying to wipe out as much of his people as he can because he knows the end is coming. He knows his time is short. And he's going to do anything to steal, kill, and destroy life. And he's going to use his demonic spirit to do it. Ray. Can I say one more thing? Yeah. Uh, this fits with Daniel's language when he uh, was praying and Gabriel shows up and said, from the time that your prayer was released, uh, it was being answered. But I was detained for 21 days by the prince of Persia. That was a principality ruling over that region. And then he said, and the prince Michael came basically and relieved him. And he said, the prince of Greece is about to come. So even Daniel uses this language of a principality, a very high ranking demon ruling over an empire. So now it doesn't mean that as this empire, now remember we talked about this, right? That a firm covenant is going to be established, correct? So we know that the Antichrist is a part of this whole process from the very beginning. We know that for these seven years, right? We know that for these seven years, one of our main uh, things that we're looking for is the Antichrist establishes with the 10 nations at least some type of peace. Okay? And at the same time, we know it says in Revelation 13, 5, a mouth was given to him to speak boasts and blasphemies. He was also given authority to act for 42 months. Now, we know that this is the 42 months. It's the last, the last three and a half years. We also call this, Scripture calls, the Great Tribulation. So we know that this empire language is going to have full authority as much as it can on the last three and a half years. In Revelation 13, 6, it says, He began to speak blasphemies against God, 
to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And as he was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them, he was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. One through seven, I believe, is painting a picture of the demonic spirit that's being used through the empire to what? Get ready for the end. Now, as you begin to unpack the rest of Revelation 13, and it's actually, for me, it actually makes it clean. In Revelation 13, 8, it says, all those who live on the earth will worship him, everybody whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slaughtered. Now, in other words, you're either going to have your name written in the book of, uh, of the life, it says the book of the life of the lamb, or you will follow the demonic spirit and the empire. It's either or. So in Revelation 13, 9, it says, if anybody has an ear, let, uh, if anybody has an ear, he should listen. Very similar language, almost, to the seven churches earlier on in Revelation. Guys, I need you to pay attention because what we're establishing is somebody else is going to come up through the ranks, through this empire. If anybody is destined for captivity, the captivity, uh, if anybody is destined for captivity, into captivity he goes. Because he's talking about believers. If anybody is to be killed with a sword, with a sword, he will be killed. Here is the endurance and the faith of the saints. Now, a lot of people are trying to get me to land my plane. Like, where do I land with uh, the rapture? Yes. It's going to happen. All I know is that in Revelation 13, 10 says, there's going to be some people that are gonna to have to go and persevere. We've been talking about this language of an empire, have we not? The goal of an empire, you guys, has one purpose, to destroy Israel and anybody that aligns themselves with them. And the scripture is pretty clear. Here's the endurance and the faith of the saints. That's why in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount says, you guys, blessed are the persecuted. There's so many, there's so much scripture here. I actually wanted to do a whole message, and maybe we will on then times, on how to deal with persecution. How to deal with these type of things. Because I think that's a way you have to number your days. I talked to three Nigerian pastors this last week. Rich and I did. It, it, I can't even fathom this, you guys. They're on the run in northern Nigeria because they're a believer. One man we talked to, he had two sons murdered because of their faith. Church buildings are burned down. Like some countries, we don't have a clue. Other countries, this is real for them. And so in Revelation 13, it says this in 11, then I saw another beast, another beast. So here's a beast language coming up out of the earth. So the empire language is C. The antichrist, or let me just say another beast, is coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb. That sure sounds to me like somebody that's trying to look like Jesus. But he sounded like the enemy. He sounded like a dragon. Okay. Remember this, you have a, a beast that's coming up out of the earth. And it says in Revelation 13, 12, he exercises all the authority of the first beast. That sure sounds like he's being empowered by a structure. And he compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast, the system. Whose fatal wound was healed, right? The whole system that it looked like it failed. Now you have a person resurrected. I shouldn't even say that, coming up out of the earth, right, from this system. And he's saying, hey, everybody, I need you to worship that. That makes sense. 
And then it says he also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people. In other words, his whole goal is to deceive us. This isn't a second understudy, you guys. This is the Antichrist. And it says, watch, it says in 14, he says he deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that he's permitted to perform on behalf of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the sword wound and yet lived. He is permitted to give, it says this in Revelation 13, 15, to give a spirit to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he requires everybody, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on his right hand or on his forehead. So the Antichrist is going to say, or if you're not comfortable with that language because you're not sure that's who it is, this beast that's coming up out of the earth that's going to represent the empire, I don't care what you call this person, to be honest. The New Testament doesn't even use the terminology Antichrist very much. There's lots of different titles for this person, okay? I'm going to give you a couple examples. I'm not going to actually go through them, but there's the man of lawlessness, also known as the son of destruction uh, in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. The lawless one in 2 Thessalonians 2.8. The mighty man found in Psalm 52, verse 1. This comes from Ray's uh, list. And by the way, Ray is going to have a book put all together from this. And so hang in there. It'll be put together. But you're going to see a lot of this study in there. The king of Assyria in Isaiah 11. The king of Babylon, Isaiah 14, the destroyer found in Isaiah 16, the little horn, right? In Daniel 7, 8, you remember that? Another horn is going to come up, a little horn that's going to come up among them. This is the language that we're talking, the prince who is to come. We've talked about this. So what I'm trying to do is debunk the language that it's only antichrist language. This person that's coming up out of the earth has many different titles. That's the lens that I want us to look at in Scripture, not in the titles that we've given people. Ray? Uh, it's interesting, too, to, to further uh, solidify this idea. The beast comes out of the sea, which is many people. The second beast comes up out of the earth. Where did Adam, where are we? We came up out of the earth. It's a man. He's describing a man there. And, uh, you know, the lamb, the false Christ. And he also has two horns. You know, that could be the political and the religious. That fits Ottoman Empire Caliphate language. Yeah, yeah, man, good insight. My proposal, Ray's proposal, this team, is go back to Scripture and discern for yourself. Is there a difference between the Antichrist and the false prophet? And we would say it's the same person. A person of that kind of power would be called a prophet. Absolutely. Know, Islam, so. They were expecting it. In, 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 in the Old Testament, they expected a prophet to come. So that language all fits. Let's wrap this up. In Revelation 13, 17, it says, uh, it says this, so that nobody can buy. So if you have the mark on your forehead or on your hand, no, if you don't have it, nobody can buy or sell unless he has the mark. The beast's name or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. The one who has an understanding must calculate the number of the beast because it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So, Ray, just briefly, package that in, will you? 666 with the, the Antichrist and with the Empire. Well, I'm still not convinced of that that's, a, that's an exact translation of the original. It's, there's a lot here. 
one of the reasons is because of all of the speculation about the mark of the beast. If you look at scripture language, when it talks about the forehead and the hands, it's a lot of times symbolic language of what you revere. Like it's, it's your, your uttermost thoughts and worship is forehead language and the work of your hands is the hand language. So I'm not convinced this is a literal mark. Uh, so I have a little different take on, you know, how literal this part is. So where uh, I would say it could be either or. Could be either or, I'm not dogmatic. Right. It, it could be a, some type of literal mark. Here's the, the, the downside of a literal mark. Anybody that receives the mark, they're basically, they're condemned. And if somebody, you know, in a weak moment, struggling because their kids aren't eating and they're under per persecution and they give in, does all of a sudden in the tribulation you lose your salvation because in a weak moment you denied? Well, that, you know, in a weak moment, Peter denied Christ three times. So that's why I'm not that, uh, I'm not buying into the literalness of the mark of the beast because of the consequences of giving into it. So I want to wrap this up. Uh, Here's what I would say. It's funny. <laughs> it is okay if you fall in this camp. I just want to challenge you to, to, to breathe a little bit. Like, I think we all camp out on when the rapture is going to happen, and we look for the mark. I think there's more, you guys, than what we're seeing in this picture. I think there's more. And that's what we want us to do. We want us to go deeper in what the scriptures say about where does the Antichrist come from? What does this look like? We've already talked through very simply, you know, these, uh, these different kingdoms. You now know some characteristics. I want to close, David, come on up in Revelation 19 if we can. I think this is really important when we have a, a topic like this. This is really important. Can we go to Revelation 19, 11? I'm, I'm just going to read it. It's going to feel long, and I, I think you need to hear this. I need to hear this to release this after you talk about the rise of the Antichrist because you got to make sure you understand there's going to be a fall. Then I saw heaven opened up, opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war in righteousness. Verse 12, it says this, if we can keep going, Kevin, through this. His, his eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. Praise God, he's going to have many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood, and his name is called the Word of God. How do you combat the enemy? With the word. Yeah. The armies that were in heaven followed him on a white horse, horses. So the armies followed, by the way, the word. And by the way, they, they didn't even have to fight. I just want to make sure everybody's clear on that. He does all of the fighting. They followed him on white horses wearing, wearing uh, pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on, and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing on the sun. And he cried out in a loud voice saying to all of the birds flying high overhead, Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of the riders and the flesh of everybody, both free and slave, small and great. That language is flipped, by the way. Did you see that? Yeah. For those that have the mark, and now they're going to come and eat those people. 
Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. But the beast was taken prisoner, and along with him the false prophet, and who performed signs on his authority, by which he deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image, both of them, the empire, I believe, the beast and the false prophet, yes, it could be the Antichrist language. Don't get caught up in the language anymore, you guys. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Hence you have the rise of the Antichrist and the fall of the Antichrist because of King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.